welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Wednesday the 12th of July with me, Bernadette Anderko. This morning, we're going to be joined by Dario Messi for an update on the bond markets and also a little bit of an insight into how he'd favour adding duration to a portfolio in the current environment. But first, we've got a roundup of what's been moving markets with my colleague, Alexander Peterson. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Bernadette. Well, Alex, perhaps you could start us off with a roundup of the action in the US markets yesterday, please. Yes, of course. In the US, the S&P 500 was up 0.7% with energy, utilities and industrials outperforming and all sectors performing positively. The Nasdaq 100 was also up by 0.5% and the Dow Jones closed up 0.9%. In Tuesday's US Treasury trading sessions, two-year Treasury yields rose for the first time in three days, ending up two basis points, while the 10-year yields fell for a second day down three basis points. And, and what about the Asian markets? How are they looking this morning? Asia-Pacific markets were mixed. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 traded lower and China's CSI 300 is off 0.4% this morning. An indication that local investors would like to see stronger stimulus to assisting an ailing economy. The Hang Seng is up just over half a percent. Australian and Indian stocks also gained overnight. Okay, and also the other asset classes. Perhaps you could give us the main news in terms of currencies and uh, commodities. Over in currencies, the Bloomberg dollar spot index fell 0.3% and the euro is trading up above $1.10. In the digital asset world, Bitcoin is trading around $30,600. And in commodities, West Texas Intermediate gained 0.2%, trading around $74 a barrel. Gold is trading at around $1,938 an ounce. Okay, so we've caught up a bit on the markets. Let's take a look at some more of the the nitty gritty. I know there's been some news on UK inflation. Perhaps you could give us the details there. Yes, indeed. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said the fight against inflation trumped the need to cut UK taxes, signaling that British voters are unlikely to benefit a major pre-election giveaway. According to a report by Grant Thornton, the UK cost of living crisis will continue for almost a year, with the average household expected to be £2,300 worse off. Oh dear, that's not good news, especially with mortgage costs reaching uh, record highs for recent times. Let's move on to some more specific company news. Um, I saw a headline that there's been some movement in the Microsoft... I've seen a headline that there's some movement in the Microsoft Activision merger. Do you have any of the details there? Yes, Microsoft moved closer to finalizing its 69 billion bid for Activision, winning a court fight with US regulators as well as an unprecedented reconsideration from the UK's Competition and Markets Authority for the largest gaming deal ever. The news caused Activision to jump 10% in regular trading, only to erase those gains in after-hours trading after the FTC announced it was leaning towards an appeal. Okay, so we might as well stick with mergers. Um, I saw that there was also some news regarding the merger of Illumina. What can you tell us about that? Yes, so European Union merger regulators are also set to impose a fine on Illumina on Wednesday for closing its deal with cancer test provider Grail without first obtaining regulatory approval. The fine could be as much as 4% of Illumina's revenues, but could be higher. The company already has set aside $453 million to cover the potential maximum fine of 10% of its annual revenue. Sounds like they were prepared then. Uh, now, we've not got much more time, Alex, so why don't we turn to the day ahead? Um, what's coming up today and what should investors be looking out for? European stocks are set to open higher this morning as traders await the US CPI data later in the day, as well as the Federal Reserve's Beige Book and the Bank of Canada's interest rate decision. And that's all for today's Markets Wrap-Up. Back to you, Bernadette.
Okay, thanks very much for that, Alex. Um, now it's time to talk to my expert guest today. Dario Messi is here from Fixed Income Research. Good morning, Dario. Good morning, Bernadette. So, uh, Dario, we're kind of entering the summer break, but there's still some data coming in. Last week, we also saw quite a rise in bond yields just ahead of the US labour market report. What can you tell us? Yeah, indeed, uh, we saw quite a step up in yields uh, last week. The 10-year US Treasury yield, which is uh, one of the most observed yields in, in the financial world, topped again this 4% mark last week. Um, it's not yet that the, the last year's high, but still, it's quite a bit higher compared to levels, for example, we had uh, in May. Um, you heard it before from Alex, this kind of momentum in yields calmed down a bit, uh, but still, there is some momentum here. Um, the data and the FOMC minutes certainly played a role as well, but we would not read too much into this. Um, there were some erratic moves, and part of this can also be explained by lower liquidity, and we have some indication there. Okay, but am I right in thinking you still prefer adding quality long-duration bonds to a portfolio at this point? Yes, we still think it makes sense to add some quality long-duration portfolios. Certainly, as I said before, the current momentum in yields uh, up is against this. But if we just think of the current absolute level, it really just looks attractive to lock in some of these decent yields for a longer time period. And we spoke already a lot about it. It's not only about the duration risk at this stage, but really it's also about the reinvestment risks that need to be considered. So yes, we still prefer long duration quality bonds. Okay, so if we look at credit spreads, we see that longer maturities give now an, an even bigger additional pickup in yield. So why not just add duration exposure with riskier segments and, and get a bit more yield? Yeah, it's a fair point. But well, first of all, you you already mentioned it, uh, kind of uh, these default risks that we have, uh, that we also talked already a lot about it. Um, the stated yield that we have is not much worth if if the company is not going uh, to, to pay back the principal you initially invested in, right? And secondly, and I think this is the important part here now, is the hedging feature is really not the same. So duration exposure through quality bonds is a totally different story compared to duration exposure with risky bonds. This is just because spreads are not insensitive to changes in risk-free yields. Or in more simple words, duration with risky segments does not give you the hedge in your portfolios you would expect in normal times. So in a nutshell, we stick to our strategy at this point and would increase portfolio duration really only through quality segments, which means high investment grade bonds. They offer an attractive entry point now, as we discussed before, and the desired hatching feature. Uh, low investment grade depth with shorter maturities, this is something that you can add to capture some of the extra compensation that we currently have at the shorter end of the curve. But here really we would do it rather with shorter maturities and not extend duration through these segments. Thanks very much for that, Dario. Um, I can't resist the opportunity. I've got you here now. <laughs> We've got CPI data coming out later today. Um, and obviously people are wondering what that's going to mean for the July FOMC meeting. So I wondered if I could ask you what you're expecting, please. Yeah, sure. CPI day is always an interesting one, especially at the current times. Um, we we have a 3.1% consensus uh, for headline. That would be another steep drop from the 4% that we had in May. Um, on the core side, which takes out the more uh, volatile segments there, the pass is a bit less impressive. So from 5.3% expected, 
um, or from 5.3% uh, last time to 5%. But overall, yes, what we see is that the, the, the disinflation process is likely to continue and certainly into the right direction uh, here. Now, does it mean the Fed is done with its job? Probably not yet. We also saw it already in the labor market report last week. Um, there was some cool down, but it still seems that there is simply still too much labor demand compared to labor supply. And this gap, even if it's closing slowly, means that wage growth is not decreasing quickly enough, specifically not quickly enough for the Fed. So all in all, after the skip that we had in June, I would assume that the Fed is very likely to proceed with the next 25 basis points in, in two weeks' time. And they also uh, communicated already in that direction. And, you know, more importantly now is not really if they go ahead with these incremental steps, but actually how long the Fed at the end intends to stay in this restrictive territory. We talked about it. It's already restrictive territory. And this could really be actually longer than what we anticipated if we just see how resilient the economy was and so far and also still is uh, when we look at uh, the interest rate hikes that we had already. Okay, so the pause is over for now then, Dario. Well, that's it for today's podcast. I'd like to thank my guests for contributing and you for listening. Please tune in again tomorrow when I'll be back with our experts to guide you through what's moving markets. Good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.